0: Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 44 and we're going to look at the first 17 verses of this chapter as we continue in our study into the story of Joseph. i am simply calling Joseph's story and we've made it to double digits, right? This is part 10. You guys deserve a plaque, I guess. Maybe. I don't know, right? Good job. And we've been talking about uh, some just some wonderful themes throughout, really up to this point that we've seen God do some some wonderful things. And we might, you know, we have the benefit of looking on scripture and, and seeing how these things kind of unfold and we say, wow, God is good, He's He's you know He's doing some wonderful things here. Um, but for those who, who, who are in the middle of this, if you will, right, the, the story is unfolding for Joseph, it's always in front of him. And for his brothers, it's always in front of him, and they're just kind of dealing with you know, this situation, and, and we have the benefit of going, well, I know how this turns out. It's all going to be good, right? We know that, but when we're going through uh, life's concerns and issues and problems, maybe sometimes we don't think about that. And lastly, we talked about this, you know, this wonderful truth that God's, God's grace is, is, you know, he pours it out on everyone, doesn't he? He has this common grace that we see, I and mean, because we saw the brothers as they, they're, you know, the second trip to, to Egypt, they're coming with fear, Right, they, they arrive there with fear, and if you remember from last Sunday, you know they find Joseph Stewart, and they kind of just say, hey, "He's invited us to our house. This isn't good. He's, he's going to make us all slaves, and he's going to take our donkeys." Right? I mean, that's that's kind of the second most powerful guy on the planet, right, Joseph, and that's their thinking. He's he wants our donkeys. You know, it just it's funny to me, but it shows how they're not thinking. You know, they're just consumed with this guilt, and we know it, right? They've got a, a sin that's down deep inside, and God's been at work on them, hasn't He? But they come and they end that chapter with you know some kindness. God has shown grace to them. They you know Joseph didn't come and say, "Hey, you're a bunch of spies again." This time, you know, the second time around, he's very kind. Um, he you know, gives them water to wash their feet. There's food for their donkeys. All, you know, all these things happen, and they experience these wonderful grace. And they spend the evening with Joseph, and it's just amazing to me how they, they've enjoyed all this. They've been merry with with Joseph, as the Bible says. So they drink and were merry with him, and they have no idea. This is Joseph, right? How often in life do we, we receive such wonderful benefits and grace of God, and yet we fail to see and acknowledge, man, God, thank you. And so this is kind of where we left them, isn't it? And the brothers, have, they, they're thinking probably, you know, this is all going to work out good, right? Dad is going to be happy. If you remember from the story, you know, they didn't want to surrender uh, Benjamin. Jacob did not want Benjamin to go to the second trip to Egypt, no, something will befell him. He is my dear son. They had to talk Pop into it, right? I refer to my dad as Pop, so uh, I also call Soda that Pop. Um, so that can be confusing, you know, and ask my Pop if he wants a Pop, you know. But um, that's Oklahoma. So there's moments where Oklahoma, I live in Oklahoma for you, that just kind of creeps out of me sometimes. Um, and they're probably thankful, right? We've collected Simeon. He was in, he, you know, Joseph held on to him, they collected Simeon. We still have Benjamin, Right, and we have the grain we pay for. This is kind of what's happening. And so there's this moment where they're like, I think we've got this. Because if you remember, we talked about last week how God God's you know he pours out his grace and he does things in our life that we would come and we would acknowledge our sin. And we know as we're looking at this passage, we know God's got a plan. God is going to build a nation through these men. He's gonna build a nation of Israel. Here they are. Right? We know that. We're looking at this. But how how often in you and I in life We fail to realize how God is transforming us. God has used a lot up to this point, right? He's used a famine to get them out of their comfort. He had to stir them up. He's got to go to Egypt, and the brothers didn't want to go, right? I don't want to go, but God has been using this famine, all right? Because let's be honest, last thing in the world they want to see is is the brother they sold into slavery, right? Seeing him be in some type of chain gang somewhere, Right Along the way, singing a song, picking up trash somewhere. Right? They don't want to see him. Because what are they doing? They have guilt. They've got sin. man. They are suppressing. If I don't want to go. So, so the famine goes on a little bit longer. Okay, now we got to go. And God has been using all these things throughout their life. And, and the last we looked at last week is God's grace. God has been giving him grace, right? How often in our life do we fail to realize God is, is this wonderful potter? And we simply are the clay. And this, this sovereign, you know, wonderful God has been, been molding and shaping you that you are not an accident, right? The things you go through, God knows you. And it's this wonderful uh, you know, transformation that God is at work in us. That's what we're going to see in this passage this morning. You know, I was I was thinking about this, and, and uh, uh, I was thinking about camping. You know, I, I love to camp as a kid. Uh, camping to me, just so, I'll just define it for you, uh, when I went camping with my dad, uh, my mom came a little bit when we were young, but uh, she didn't quite like the camping we were a part of that my dad enjoyed, which we naturally, as his sons, we enjoyed it too, was, you know, locking the hubs in your four-wheel vehicle and trailing back, and my dad's, you know, here's, you he threw a tarp out in the ground, put your bag out, there you go, right? That's camping, and that's where we went, and, and the idea of a tent was like, who sleeps in a tent, right? What is that? I didn't know what a tent was the older and I did, but... We never slept in one, right, because the dad, we have cold nights, just throw the tarp on you, yeah, throw it on you, right, sleep on the ground, that's how my dad camped, so camping that way is, is great, right, and then when I got married, my wife didn't quite share in those <laughs> camping ways as I did, of course, right, so we need a tent, and, and of course now we need, we, you know, I like to lock the hubs and go for a and go back somewhere where it's like, you know, it's you and, and God's creation, and, and um, my wife's not so much hip on that. She likes more like camping grounds. and I, I, To me, it's always seemed weird to pay for camping. I'm like, God, there's all this creation. Let's just go over here, you know. So anyway, we, I, I'm leading up to this point of, of you know, when you, when you camp in a camping ground, even though you might be in a tent or whatnot, you see some, some uh, you know, other people who camp. And it's amazing to me when you see these, these mobile homes come in. And I think of all the niceties, right, of life that is with them. And, I've, you know, you've seen some that have got a dish on top, and it's like they're watching television at night in their RV out in the woods. And I think it's so comical because the idea of camping is to do what? Get away, right? And it's like you get away, but you're taking all of it with you. And I thought, you know, isn't that, isn't that like our life sometimes? You know, God wants to, to, to do some works in you, and he wants you to, to cast off these sins that so easily entangle us. He wants you to be identified as a, as a child of the king, a son and a daughter of the king. But so often we kind of just, we hold on to these sins, we keep them. And we think, you know what, I, I can work this out. I, I've got this one. You know, God, you can take care of the big one. I'll give you the salvation one, yeah, but, but these other things over here, I'll, I'll hold on to them. And we really begin to see in this, in, this, in this chapter, or excuse me, in this, well, chapter 44, these passages we'll read this morning, we begin to see how God really starts putting the pressure on. Because God's got a plan. So you're not an accident. God's got a plan. God's desire is not that he would be in chains to bondage. He wants to set you free. We sing it. Who the Son sets free is not partial free. No, he's free indeed. Right? We sing these truths, and God desires that in us because he is the part. He's the clay, and he's at work. And so we see this wonderful, as the brothers, as we uh, ended up in chapter 43, they were merry, they were, they were excited, they're heading back to their, their pop, right, their dad. They have Benjamin still with them. They've got Simeon still with them, right? We've got the grain. We actually paid for it this time. Everything's good, right? We've enjoyed these graces, and now we pick this story up where Joseph has another plan for them. And this is in chapter 44. And we'll read the first 17 verses, and it says, And he commanded the steward, this is Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sacks. And do it again, right? I don't want their money. He doesn't need their money, right? He says, also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest. Now you remember from last week, uh, he set them accordingly to age, right? And the brothers marveled as they went to this feast. He set, you know, Reuben first, Simeon, and on down the line. So, Uh, The steward knows who's who here. Uh, Put his silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, so he wants it in Benjamin's sack and his grain money. So he did. The steward did according to the word that Joseph had spoken this. Uh, As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, right? They had a merry night. It's all good. So they're sent away with their donkeys. And when they had gone uh, out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks? He's talking about the cup here, and with which he indeed practices divination. You have done evil in so doing. There were divination here, is, is this whole facade that Joseph has put together, them realizing it's, it's not a Hebrew man, right? He's in a real Egyptian. And this is how. Uh, Joseph knows all this stuff about his brothers, the oldest, the youngest, right? He's keeping up this facade. So in verse 6 it says, So he overtook them and spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which uh, we found in the mouth of our sacks. That's the first trip, right? Uh, How then could we steal silver or gold from our Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. There's a lot of confidence here. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. This is the steward. He who, he who it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sacks to the ground, and each opened his sacks. So he searched. He began with the oldest. And left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, "'What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination?' Then Judah said, "'What shall we say to my Lord?' What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your Father. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we are very grateful and thankful for this time. We are thankful for your word. And I pray, God, this morning that our attention, our mind, our thoughts, Lord, our lives would be fixed upon it. I ask, God, that you administer to us, open our eyes to your truth. And, Lord, as always, you'd allow me to get out of the way, that that might take place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've come to this passage, and, and just to recap, we have the brothers who are Mary. and just so you know that the unfolding of this passage, we see it in a nutshell. I mean, Joseph is doing something very profound. He is recreating the whole scene that he experienced himself. See, the youngest brother now is going to be sold into slavery because he has stole this, right? He's stole the cup. And Joseph is, is re, kind of recreating all of this, and he's going to place the brothers in a moment of decision. Right, they thought everything was going good. They had suppressed this truth. Uh, you know, no one knew about it. Their father doesn't know about it. Benjamin doesn't know about the fact of selling Joseph, selling the brother. They're all going with the idea that an animal ate him. Right, and so they don't know this. Their wives, right, their children, no one knows but these ten sons. And they have this moment where they're returning. Right, everything is going good, and we learn what we learn something about the sovereignty of God. God knows, doesn't He? God knows, and sometimes in our own lives, maybe you felt this way, where we try to to suppress something or hide something, thinking that, you know, uh, I'll I'll keep this one away from, from God. Like, you know, God doesn't know. It's the same kind of humor where it's like he wants us for our donkeys, right? It's that same kind of thinking where it's like, well, maybe God doesn't know about this. No, God knows you. God knows everything about you. God created you, and God's got a purpose and a plan for you. And part of that is not to be sold, right, into bondage, but to come out from it. So we see the brothers that have they're, 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 you know, been uh, enjoying Joseph's company, not knowing it's Joseph, and they're, and they're coming back to Egypt, and, and this whole scene unfolds, right? And we have it out in the countryside. It's, a, it's the same idea of Joseph going to Dothan, if you remember, and that's where they put him in the pit. Here they're out in the country, and they're faced with this decision. The steward tells them, right, whoever I find the cup with, he's the slave. The rest of you can go. They're out in the country. It's easy. Let's go. We can go. And we've seen some powerful things that God has been doing, right? If you walk through it, right? The famine God has used. He's used the three days in prison of their first trip. This is where they come and they confess, you know, this is it. This, you know, the, the blood of our brother is upon us. That's the first time Joseph hears those words in Hebrew, right? He's been using a, a, an interpreter. So he's been speaking to him in Egyptian, but he hears it and he knows it and he has to go and he weeps. So they're starting to, to crack a little bit, right? And God continues to, to press on them. Then they have this moment where the money has been returned, and they're like, what is this? What is God doing to us? Right? Fear creeps in. That's their response. They go home to their dad, right? Jacob joins in in the fear. He's like, oh, my goodness, what did you, what did you sons do now? Right? It's kind of his conclusion. Going to hold on to Benjamin because this thing's not going to play out right. Then they, we see the pressure, right? This whole, the whole famine. Why do we see a famine? Because Jacob didn't want to let go of Benjamin. And yet this whole thing, God has a purpose and a plan to reconcile a family. A very dysfunctional family. He's going to reconcile them and build a nation. God's pretty awesome, right? If you come from a dysfunctional family this morning, know God's got a purpose. He's beyond and above that. He's got a plan. And God has used these things. And here we come, and they've enjoyed the affection of Joseph. And now they're out on this scene. They've found the cup in Joseph's sack. They tear their clothes. They're broken. And we learn something about God's sovereignty, right? What, he, what does he desire? God has a plan. And for us, you know, what are we to learn about this? And this goes to your notes now is, is uh, my first point, God reveals. And I just used the word, I know in the passage it's iniquity, but I use God reveals our self-righteousness. God reveals our self-righteousness. And we have to this morning kind of put our feet in the, in the shoes of these brothers to really, to really understand what's happening here. Right? To, to, to really come to this place of, of of knowing what it feels like because now they, they think they've suppressed it, they think they've got away with it. We've got Benjamin, we've got the two brothers. Dad's gonna have a, the biggest smile on his on his face. We're all gonna make it the famine, this is good. Right? We've had we spent time with the guy who threw us in prison. This is a wonderful, we've had a meal, we've had all this kindness. And yet there hasn't been genuine reconciliation yet. There hasn't been genuine confession of this sin yet. So they leave and they go on. And so God is, is at work revealing our self-righteousness. So we want to look at how are these brothers self-righteous and build some parallels for us. And the first thing that I see is that they were self-righteous in their word. If you remember the story, they came and they said, you know, we're honest men. And I wonder when they told Joseph that. No, we're honest men. You keep calling us spies. We're not spies. We're honest men. And I wonder if Joseph just went, Psh. Are you serious? You know, I don't know if he let on. That's not there. But you kind of think, right? You're honest men, really. Right? Honest men. Don't forget the fact they sold their brother. But they're very integral. Excuse me. They're very uh, self righteous in this idea of their word. Our testimony. We've we bore it out. We've brought the money back. We've told your steward. We've talked to it. We're very self right No, it's not who we are. Very self righteous in the word. The second thing I see is they're very self righteous with their money, they're confident in their money. That can be a real stumbling block for some of us, huh? We're confident in our money. I've got security is in my bank account, not upon the cross of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that those things are not good, but it's where we put our confidence, right? So we see that they're confident in this. They've come with the first payment, they and they, right, they received it out in the when they got home, they realized <clears throat> all our money has been returned. So what do they do? They bring the first amount of money back, and they bring more money right, to pay for the next, we're going to give all of this here, And I can imagine there's a scene here where they're probably counting it out with the steward, <clears throat> right, hey, I know the first time there was some confusion, but here's 75, 80, 85, 90, 100, here we are, we're good, right, they paid it out, they probably counted it out, and most likely it doesn't say this either, they probably asked for a receipt, right, let's make sure this actually happened here, there's no confusion out in the road, Right? Now, it's not there. It doesn't say that, but we can, we can kind of speculate a little bit. But they're very self-righteous. They have confidence in their money. We've taken care of this. We've done this. right? We've, we've paid this. And the last thing I see here is that they are self-righteous in their integrity. We're honest men. We've, we've got these actions to back it up. right? They're so honest that when the steward overtakes them out on the road, listen to these words in, in verses 7 through 9. Why does my Lord say these words? Why do you come and say this? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of the That's the first amount. How then could we steal silver or gold from our Lord's house? And here's a bold statement, right? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. A lot of confidence there. I mean, here they're saying, look, if any one of the brothers, we know, we've had conversations. Not one of us is going to hold on to this. We're going to pay this forward. They're feeling all that guilt, right? We're going to make sure none of this is, no, 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 it's none of us. I guarantee it. We want to get home. We want to see the smile on our dad's face. We want to bring back Benjamin, right? We'll get some, we'll some kudos points, attaboys from our father. It's going to be good. We got Simeon. That's a, that's a bonus, right? Jacob was like, you know what? Let him. Let him be in prison. Jacob almost wanted to write him off. Hey, we got Simeon back. We got the whole thing. There's not one of us is going to hold a hold on this money or take this cup, right? We're very confident. Our integrity, look, we've been consistent with this. You can imagine the look on their faces, right? So he's, okay, Well, we'll begin. The steward says, we're the oldest. They drop their sacks down. You can see Reuben going, hey, yeah, told you, right? Going to Simeon, oh, see, told you. Right? And as they go through the brothers, you get to Asher and Levi and Gad and the rest. They go down the list, right? and, they're going, yeah. and their confidence is beaming ever more so. And it's growing until it gets to the last. Right? And I imagine here, there's probably no doubt either. Surely not Benjamin. No way. He understands the whole struggle, and he didn't get to go the first time he's here. He knows this whole thing about how important it is for him to get back, not be a slave. He wouldn't touch anything. And yet as he opens his sack, sun shines, right? I see the silver. It has to be that moment. Maybe you felt this of just, oh man, we blew it. How can this be? I think it's very important as we see these things that we realize, you know, they're, they're innocent of taking the cup, but they're very much guilty of a bigger sin, aren't they? And all of us identify, you know, in our own lives, there's times where it's like, no, I, I'm good here. And I may struggle there, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. So for us to really kind of grapple with, with understanding this, it's about this idea of, of innocence and guilt, right? Where are we at with this? And he goes on as they come, right? They tear their clothes. They're in grief and dismay, and, and they come back. They, they, you know, the steward says, hey, we'll just take the one. And the rest of you can go home. And they're like, no, we tore our clothes. We're, they ride back to Egypt, and it's Judah who comes, right? And he says, what shall we say to my Lord? can imagine here maybe he's having difficulty getting the words out what shall we speak i mean they know what this means they know this is going to crush their dad they get it right and they realize it's all our fault we should have never done this to joseph how should we clear ourselves right how can we prove our innocence god has found out the iniquity of your servants he confesses it god knows here are my lord's slaves all of us both we and he also right which the cup was found. Here we have this idea of innocence and guilt all attached together. They're innocent of taking the cup, but they feel the bigger weight, right? God has broken through all of this and they realize they're standing before and yet they they can leave. And Joseph has recreated the scene. There is one son, the youngest, beloved of the father who stands condemned, right? He can go into slavery. The rest of them can go home. They can make up another story. They can say they can blame it all on him. We don't see that here, though, do we? So for us today, if we're going to look at this, you know, I'd ask us these questions. Are we self-righteous with our words? Are you self-righteous? No, I'm good. I'm a good person. Are you taking that and looking at those around you and going, well, I'm good. I can run with this group, and I'm probably a little bit better than most of them. You can always find somebody, right, that we're better than. But us, right, as followers of Christ, are going to take our lives and and attach it to Scripture and go, oh man, I'm not good, I need a Savior. That's the job of the law, right? Are we self-righteous in our words? I tell the truth, I don't lie. God has anything against me, I'm a good, I'm a good person. That's how the Bible defines good. Are we self-righteous with our integrity? I have been stolen from anybody, especially God, I wouldn't do any of this. Are you counting on that? Are we self-righteous with our integrity? A good person. And then I put this last question in the slide. Are are you now truly innocent? Begin to look at our lives because this is what's happening. God has been at work from the famine until this moment. He has been working and and bringing about transformation in these brothers, and they finally come to this place where they acknowledge it. God has, has revealed. God has found all our self-righteousness, all the things we are trusting in, that's all washing away. We're guilty. It's a moment of transformation, right? We can think of this wonderful illustration. I love well, Jesus, right? Let's look at scripture. Jesus in, in Luke 18 shares the, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and he sets the contrast up, doesn't he? If you're familiar with this passage where you have the Pharisee, and Jesus says, look, not only is this the Pharisee, and this was the, the religious standard of the day, right? All the disciples going, oh yeah, the Pharisee, he's good. And they would have said, you know what? This, this Pharisee uh, you know, he's so good, he ties on everything, even his spices. So so we could say, you know, he's like a super Pharisee, right? And then we're like, wow, that's that guy's good. And we, we learn as Jesus shares the parable that he doesn't stand with the other group, right? He doesn't want to be ceremonially unclean, so he doesn't stand with them. Right? It's very important. And then he prays out loud. I'm so glad I'm not like that guy, the tax collector. Lord, thank you. You're so good to me. And he prays it out loud and i can imagine the disciples going well that's it man that's some 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 serious self righteousness right and the other side is the tax collector and jesus you know he contrasts two extremes Here's the super Pharisee of the, of the day. They would say, this is the standard God wants us to be. And, and so Jesus uses that standard of what they thought the standard should be. And then he goes and says, here's this tax collector who is like you know, below dirt. right? He's below the scum level of their society because he's working for the Romans and he's getting rich off the backs of the Hebrews. And so he, he, he contrasts them and he says, this guy, the tax collector, right, he can't even look up to the temple because they're heading to the worship. right? He can't even raise his eyes. He stands away off because he feels so unworthy and so broken. I cannot stand with the other people. His eyes to his feet, right? He's looking down and it says he beats his chest. Only twice in Scripture do we see that. It's here and at the cross of Christ do we see those mourning, beating his chest. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? And the disciples looking at Jesus and he says, This man went home. Justified, the tax collector went home justified. And the Pharisee goes home as just the other guy. Right? He doesn't even give him the title anymore, which I think is kind of comical, right? It's just the other guy. And who's trusting in what here? The Pharisee is trusting in his righteousness. And the tax collector is trusting in the cross of Christ. Jesus says, That's it. He purges us of it. There was a story of a preacher who was speaking to an old Scotswoman who was commonly regarded as one of the most devout, respectable people in the part of the country. And he was impressing on her her need for Christ. At last, with tears in her eyes, she said, oh, sir, I have never missed a Sabbath. I I read my Bible every day. I have prayed and done good deeds to my neighbors, and I have done all that I know I ought to do. And now you mean to tell me that it's all for nothing. And he answered, well, You have a choice, right, between trusting in these and trusting in the redemption which God offers in Christ. You cannot have both. If you are content to part company with your own righteousness, the Lord will give you His. But if you cling to your Bible reading, your Sabbath keeping, your good deeds, the Lord's righteousness cannot be yours. To say those are bad, those are good, but we're trusting in them. It was quite a spectacle as he goes on and he says... Um, afterwards to see the woman's face for sometimes she sat in silence, her elbows on the table, her face buried in her hands. A great struggle was going on within at length. The tears began to stream from her eyes and lifting up her, her clasped hands to heaven. She cried out, Oh my God, they shall all be for nothing. In a moment more, she cast herself on her knees and accepted and believed upon Christ alone for salvation. See, too often in life, we go about these things thinking, I've done something. I'm good amongst this crowd. But when we take our lives and we stack it next to Scripture, we see how much we're lacking. And it's fulfilled, and our fulfillment is only in Christ. So here we have this scene, right? The brothers are out there and they're going, oh my goodness, they tear their clothes, they return to Egypt. So what is the Lord doing? Does he just leave us there? Does he just reveal our iniquity, our self-righteousness and go, okay, good luck with that, right? No, because he's a compassionate, loving God. He says, and I move on to my second point, God transforms the broken, doesn't he? This moment of of transformation. This might seem a little backwards, right? There There is victory, and the idea of a Savior on the cross. And so we look at this, right? We look at this scenes. what is happening in these brothers. And the first thing is, and for us, and I put it in our tense, our relationship to God is transformed. When God moves, this moment of confession of sin, acknowledgement, Lord, I have tried to hide this, but I confess it to you at this moment, our relationship to God is transformed. Look at what's happening to the brothers, Right? Before they were running from God to cover up their sin, they've been suppressing it, hiding the lie, right? When they have this, this moment out in, in the, uh, the money being returned, they have this moment of who, who is this God, right? What is he doing to us? They, they phrase it as a question, right? Now it's a statement. It's a true proposition. This is what God is doing. How can we find innocence? God has revealed our sin. This is a, these are different brothers now. They have the opportunity to create another story, leave Joseph there, hang on, hey, it's all good, we'll go back home, continue with the lie. But that's not who they are now. They're ready to own it across the board. God has revealed our sin. God, you know, when we does this and we believe on Christ, our relationship to him, it's transformed. He's no longer a God that we see against us. Now he is for us. The second thing we see is our relationship to others is transformed. Here we see as Joseph has been recreating the scene, you have all the brothers making a decision about the youngest brother's fate, right? His life. We can leave him. We can go back home. Everything will be fine. Yeah, dad will cry for a while. He'll mourn to the ground. whatever. That's not who they are. The steward says, you know, just give me the one and the rest of you are blameless. They tear their clothes. They all return. To Egypt. Now, what's amazing is they include themselves through all of this. So you see, before they were willing to sell uh, Joseph, right, in the pit, and now not one of them will abandon Benjamin. You can take him. You have to take all of us. We all stand condemned. Every single one of us. This is an amazing transformation. It's when God gets a hold of you and you realize he is the potter and he's got a purpose and a plan for your life. We come to this place and stop suppressing all the, the sin and the baggage and all these things that so easily entangle us. And we come and we simply confess, Lord, forgive me. There is a different relationship, but it changes at that moment. We know God as our Savior. He is our Father. We use that language. And we know Christ because at that moment we see the contrast. We see a holy and just God, right? The Pharisee thought he was right with. I'm good with this God. I've got enough. I tithe on everything. I'm good. And where the other tax collector is beating his chest, going, there is no way I stand next to a holy and just God, and that's for you and I. There's no way we stand next to him, save for the work of Jesus Christ. It's very important. We understand this. So our relationships to others change. Isn't that what John has talked about? There's a love for God's family. There's a love for God's people. I want to be in church on Sunday. I want to be a part of my life group. I want to be around those who know this wonderful Savior. And guess what? I want to make Him known to others who don't know Him. Isn't that the kind of what starts to happen in our relationship to others? Because we look upon life differently. Now we know this God who is a creator, and He creates life, and they have value. So this is what we see, what's happening in this, in this situation, and it's, it's really kind of starting to crescendo into this moment where Joseph finally re- reveals himself. That's ahead of us. But God has done a wonderful work, and it's through this, the idea of revealing. God reveals our sin. Sometimes that takes us some pressure. Sometimes we're going to hold on to it. Sometimes we think we can, we can keep it from him, but yet God's got his plan, right? He's got his purpose. He's got his ways. And in this story, he's used famine, Right? He's used affection. He's used grace. He's used all of this. And they finally come to this place where our sin no longer, we can't hide it. God has revealed it. He has broken us. And yet there's this wonderful God who redeems and heals. He brings reconciliation. This is who He is. And He still does this. So, for us today, if you're here this morning and you're holding on to, to some sin, maybe you're trying to suppress it or hide it, I think this message is for you because the things we learn, the application, straightforward is this, right? You cannot hide your sin from God. If you're going here this morning thinking, you know what, I can, I can kind of got this one, he's got salvation, maybe do this. God wants you to come uh, completely clean, confess it, right? Let it go. This is why we talk about it. let's call sin sin and let's take seriously what the Bible says we should do with it. Let's repent. Ask His forgiveness, and let's turn from that. Let's pursue holiness. Let's pursue purity. Let's continue to move forward. In those days we had that bad day, let's confess it. Let's continue to move forward. Continue to move forward. Numbers 20, or excuse me, 32, 23 says, and be sure your sin will find itself out, right? It will find you out. Second application is self-righteousness keeps us from God's forgiveness, goes without saying, right? If you're going around saying, I've got it, I've got it all worked out, I'm good. Well, definitely you're holding on to something God wants you to let go of. It keeps us from forgiveness. God wants us to come and confess this. I think the wonderful illustration of this is Paul in Philippians 3, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, after he's, he has shared Right? If there's any reason, I've got the right resume. If there's anyone who's walked the planet of this earth who can earn salvation with God, it's Paul. And this is what Paul says in regards to, uh, to all of that, of keeping the law, being zealous, of being the, of the right tribe, the right birth, of all these things. Here's what Paul concludes. He says, but what uh, things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Those things that he put his trust in. Right? I was born of the right lineage. And he says, yet indeed, I also count all things lost or the excellence of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, right? I'm not self-righteous anymore. Which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, by faith that I may know Him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul right there goes through it. There is justification that I may know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed. There's sanctification. And then he says, if by any means the resurrection, glorification. He unfolds the gospel in these verses and says, this is it. It is Christ alone. It's either Christ or, or nothing. That's, that's the position of Paul. So if you're here this morning, realize that self-righteousness keeps us from forgiveness. And then the last application, of course, God's forgiveness is available to all who confess their sin. First John 1 John nine. if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning, if you're here and you're struggling with the idea of placing your whole trust in Christ, then this message is for you. This is important for you to put your feet into the shoes of the brothers and say, you know what, I was that person. I thought we could hold this. I thought we could, we could suppress this. Things were going good. I was enjoying God's common grace. And we had this wonderful time of, of, of spending time with Joseph. And yet, as we go and have the scene unfolds just outside of Egypt, they realize it's found out. There's no way we can come home without binging. There's no way. And they're acknowledging this sin, our sin. This is why these things are happening. And God wants us to come, simply acknowledge, Lord, I'm a sinner. I stand opposed, right, on myself. Because of Christ, I know I can be forgiven. Because of your love, you so love this world of which I'm a part of, you sent your son into it. That while I was still a sinner, and we sing about that this morning, while I was still a sinner, Christ would go to the cross. He'd die for me. That's the truth of this idea of when God reveals our sin, or reveals our, our, our self-righteousness, and when He reveals our, our iniquity, right? We have, a, we have at that moment a decision, right? Are we going to surrender it and say, God, forgive me? Or are we going to continue to suppress it? Where God has a purpose and a plan, this story is, you know, the hero of Joseph's story is God. Of course, he's the hero of the brothers as well. Of course, he's the hero of your life as well. and He's unfolding it in front of you, and he has a big purpose and a big plan. Your influence, right? Your, your walk with the Lord, your involvement in other people, all these things. God has a purpose and a plan and for you to be a positive influence, a Christian biblical influence. It's for you to know your sins are forgiven. I know Christ. I know in whom I have believed. And those bad days come. I confess my sin. I follow after this wonderful Savior who changed my life.